0: Good morning or afternoon everybody. Welcome to this new podcast of the American Journal of Public Health. This is another podcast on Roe versus Wade, but now the decision of the Supreme Court has fallen and we are we live in a post-Roe world and so what's the situation? What do we have to expect? What are the options for persons across the United States who will want to access abortion services and other? And we have here, as participants in this panel, a series of researchers who have really contributed enormously to knowledge in the field. They've published in the journal regularly for the last at least seven years since i've been the editor and they really have you know described with evidence the situation that one would expect in case there would be a very severe ban so we're going to have this discussion i want to also introduce vicky mays who is the co-moderator and i'm very excited this is our first podcast together Uh, But we have a long tradition of working together, so we'll see how, how this goes. So, welcome. Caitlin, just a few words about you.
1: Good morning and good afternoon, everyone. My name is Caitlin Gertz. My pronouns are she, her. I'm the Vice President for Research at IBIS Reproductive Health and an Epidemiologist by training.
0: Thank you. Diana.
2: My name is Diana Green Foster. I'm a professor at the University of California, San Francisco.
0: Thank you. Ushma.
3: Hi, my name is uh Ushma Upaviai. I'm professor at University of California, San Francisco as well.
0: Thank you very much. And Vicky, please introduce yourself.
3: It's with pleasure that I get to
4: introduce myself because this is my first broadcast podcast with you. I'm Vicky Mays. I'm a faculty member at UCLA in our Fielding School of Public Health and in the Department of Psychology.
0: Thank you very much. So, Vicky, just let's start with you. You know, how how do would you like to frame this discussion? You
4: know, I think the listeners have for the past weeks been really experiencing this topic. So we kind of know that there's a lot of emotions there. And so maybe what we can do, and I will turn it over to whoever wants to answer the question first, is to really talk about this issue. What can we do. You know, we, some states are, you know, state of California, which most of us are from, has passed, you know, five laws, other places are trying to set up services. So let's hear from you what you think is the best thing for states to be doing right now.
3: I I can jump in. If someone lives in a banned state, they'll have one of three options. One is they can travel out of state, but that is extremely hard for people. The second thing is that they can attempt to self-manage their abortion and they may use pills or order pills online, but they also, we have research that shows that they've used unsafe methods as well. And then the third option is that they could be forced to carry to term. So all of these options are challenging and risky in some, to, to some degree, And I'm sure we'll all be talking about each of those methods, each of those options. What we can do is try to mitigate these harms as much as possible. And there are, you know, different things that I think the policy level that can be done. And I think it's just as many avenues as possible. We need to protect people, protect health. We already have heard about people at hospitals getting sub suboptimal care sub quality of care so I think it's just an all everyone in public health should be concerned about this should be aware of what's happening and thinking about structural interventions to mitigate the harms of these laws
4: let me just ask because you mentioned this issue about structural interventions in public health I think we've been hearing a lot about what medicine is doing so what is it that you see public health? you know, and particularly if you could say, I have a wish, and this is, you know, the top three things I'd like to see public health doing,
2: what would they be? Boyd, if I have to limit to three, (laughs) Caitlin, you go first.
1: I'll just jump in very quickly to say, I thought Ushma's point was so critical to say that abortion is a public health topic. I think that for too long and for too many years, abortion has been siloed out of the field of public health, out of the field of epidemiology. And to be very clear, abortion intersects with every element of health and reproductive health. And public health practitioners, epidemiologists, anyone in the field needs to be as conversant in the Impacts of restricting access to abortion as they are um, about the impacts of smoking, for example, on public health.
0: And I, I want to say that if it's a population, a public health issue, the population dimension is very important. And we've published the work of Rachel Jones and colleagues that showed that the probability for a woman in the United States to seek a first abortion in her lifetime is about 25%, one every four women. So it's, it's a public health problem, but also of a very huge magnitude in terms of persons that can be pregnant.
2: My impression of this time is that it's an emergency time that should make us re-examine a lot of our public policies, our public health programs towards pregnancy. And we have a system that's already grossly insufficient in supporting low-income parents. So it's morally incumbent on anybody, regardless of whether they support an abortion ban or not, that we need to improve maternity care, child care, health, extend health care for pregnant people. And that's an emergency situation. And it's not just in response to this, these abortion bans that will probably force about a quarter of people who otherwise would have gotten an abortion to carry a pregnancy to term, but it's incumbent on us to to strengthen our public health system that supports especially low-income people in pregnancy. And the other public health intervention is to rapidly disseminate information about how people can safely manage their own abortions so that people don't unsafely do it. And that involves disseminating information about medication abortion and discouraging people from doing what is actually common which is trying to have blows to the abdomen to 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 end a pregnancy so it's it's a really critical period that the public health system needs to step up but but
0: there's still you know Abortion medication is, has also its own problem, no? Because you have time to get it. Apparently, it takes about two weeks if you buy it out of the country. You need a credit card. You need an address. You need different aspects. So for some women, this is not, or some pregnant person, this is not the solution.
3: Yeah, I mean, self managed abortion is growing. There are methods. People can go to planc.org, the website. One of the only sources of medication, abortion pills, if you live in a banned state, is from an organization called Aid Access. And there, the providers are in Europe. And the pills, as you said, Dr. Brabbia, the pills come, are shipped from India and they take a, few, a couple of weeks. But for many people, this is their only their only option. And so the it is very safe and effective. Sub, there's mm. substantial research that shows that either, even up to 12 and 13 weeks, WHO guidance says that people can take these pills up to 13 weeks in pregnancy. So it is safe and effective. And the greatest risk is the legal risk. And we know that people of color are disproportionately criminalized for Taking pills for for all of their reproductive behavior, they're monitored at, at greater rates, and they are prosecuted at greater rates for, for self managing their abortions. And so that's that's another issue that we can turn to is is ensuring that hospital staff are not are not you know calling authorities unnecessarily when they're you know they're violating HIPAA by <clears throat> rules about calling authorities in such situations and you know healthcare providers role is to support patients and help them reach the be- the healthiest outcomes so yes i agree that it's not the best solution but it is one of the only solutions that people in banned states have right now
1: and just just to back just to back us up slightly to say i i think your question dr morabia suggests that you know there are a range of different options for terminating an unwanted pregnancy and i think we all agree here that people need and deserve to know about all of the safe and effective options to end a pregnancy which includes learning about the safety and effectiveness of self-managed medication abortion and just to just to get everybody all of our listeners on the same page self-managing an abortion using medications can either involve taking mifepristone, which is one medication, followed by mesoprostol, which is another medication, or using mesoprostol on its own to safely and effectively terminate a pregnancy. And as Ushma said, there is extensive evidence that now suggests that self-managing an abortion which means without the supervision or involvement of a clinician, is as safe and effective up to nine weeks of pregnancy as using medication abortion in a clinic setting. The WHO actually recommends the use of medications for abortion throughout pregnancy, and I think it's really important that people know and understand that these medications are safe and they are effective, but I just want to support everything that Ushma said. The the risk now is a legal one. So when we think about a harm reduction strategy, we are really talking about reducing the harm from the law. We are no longer talking about reducing the harm from an abortion as a procedure. We know that abortion is safe and effective. What is potentially harmful to people having abortions now, especially those who are choosing or have no other option but to self-manage, is the legal risk.
2: And Caitlin, where can people get information about correct dosing and what complications are serious enough that they should seek care?
1: great question, Diana. So there are a number of different resources. I will say one that people should know about is a smartphone app called Yuki. It is an app that you can download onto your phone. It provides comprehensive information about sexual and reproductive health, as well as offering users tools to track what's going on with their bodies. And it includes all of the information, the WHO protocols for use of medication abortion. It also includes resources that people might need to know and understand their options for seeking an abortion. And something that is really critically important about Yuki is that it does not collect any information whatsoever from the user. Once you download it, there is no back end. So all of the information that a user needs or stores on the phone is only on their phone which means to the point of legal risk that people do not have to go to Google to search for this information. It's right there on their phone. And that reduces some of the potential legal risk of things like search histories or text messages, et cetera. So I really encourage people to go. You can find it on the app store, the iTunes app store or the Google Play store. It's E-U-K-I,
3: Yuki. And what Dr. Gritz is not saying is that it is her brainchild conceptualized many years ago, way before Roe was overturned. So it actually has come in. It's it's a lifesaver for many people.
1: And it is informed by really rigorous research, which I think is really critical because as people are navigating their options in an increasingly complex landscape, they need to know where to turn to trust information and what resources they can access that are actually trustworthy and can get them to the care that they need.
3: I wanted to turn back to the structural solutions. I would like to propose that Maybe perhaps the federal government could be doing more in this moment too, because because as we've been saying, abortion pills are safe and effective to protect people's ability to receive these medications through the mail. The mail is governed by federal law. It's a federal program. And so You know, there is, there have been legal arguments that the federal government, President Biden's administration, could be doing more to ensure that medication abortion pills have safe passage through the mail to banned states. I'd like to see, you know, a few more, just a little bit more federal action to ensure that people can safely manage their abortions.
0: But then, uh, yeah, please, 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 Vicky.
4: Yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here, which, as Alfredo knows, I I have a tendency to do. Because part of the group we're really worried about are women who typically tend to be under-resourced in lots of ways. And I think Dr. Moravia brought this up. You're now saying that this person has to have, a, I think, a good reading level. They need to have a credit card. So part of what I want to talk about, if we go back to the public, is the issue of what is the infrastructure that we need? Because these women are not going to be able to do well some of the things that you're talking about. They're not going to be able, for example, to receive pills at their home because they may not be the person that gets the mail. They may live in a neighborhood where, you know, mail comes once a week instead of every day as it should. So. Talk to me about the infrastructure outside of medicine that we need. Do we have sufficient counselors? Do we have places that people can go to? Are there underground groups that can be helpful? Are there navigators?
1: So I want to just acknowledge something that you're pointing out, which is the fact that Roe was never enough and that for Black people, for Indigenous people, for um historically marginalized groups, LGBTQ plus folks, and just people working to make ends meet, they have always faced disproportionate barriers to abortion access. And those barriers have been driven by systemic racism and other systems of oppression. And that is from a structural standpoint, That is the biggest barrier to abortion care and abortion access. Of course, the Dobbs decision compounds those barriers and places access to abortion out of reach for so, so many more. And to your question about what systems we need and what resources we need, something that we haven't talked about yet is the importance of abortion funds and the resources that many, many groups, many abortion activists have already been putting in into place for so many years. Um, and those kinds of resources can can provide things like practical support, funding, navigation services to help people Cross state borders and access the kind of care that they need. Of course, that's not going to work for everyone, just like medication abortion and self managed abortion isn't going to work for everyone. I think what we are looking at is a, a collapsed healthcare system, the failure of our healthcare infrastructure to ensure that people have access to healthcare that is a fundamental part of their human right to health. And so as we talk about the, the systematic and systemic solutions that we need, we need guaranteed access to the full scope of comprehensive reproductive health care. That is absolutely the solution that we need. In the absence of that, there are absolutely groups on the ground who have been working tirelessly to help people for decades to get access to care who have faced these kinds of barriers. And I think one thing that I do want to say, we have talked a lot about self-managed medication abortion. And yes, for some folks, needing access to a credit card, needing access to the Internet is a key to that access, but communities are also taking care of themselves and communities have and, and always will figure out how to get people access to safe medications and help to support the members of their community to do so safely and minimizing legal risk as well. I wanted do to you
0: add. Yeah, to- please, please, please. please, please,
2: yeah, please go please. ahead. I just want
4: to
0: know how to find those people. So, Diana you wanted to say something
3: i'm gonna defer to ushma first
0: ushma okay
3: oh how do we find those people caitlin can do you know how to find those people yeah i mean i think that's what's that's what's
1: important here is that communities and people in your community may know best right there's not going to be a, a link on the internet to be able to find somebody in your community who can help you to self manage your abortion. But I think as we are seeing, people are rallying together and figuring out how to support each other in ways that really minimize exposure, really minimize legal risk. So there's no one way to say that this is how it happens. But I do think that as time goes on, we will see more and more that communities are helping each other, as they always have. It-
0: Yeah, please add, Ushma. I was just going to say,
3: to follow Dr. Gertz's comments, one of the most harmful public health policies that we had in place even before the Dobbs decision is the Hyde Amendment, which prohibits low-income people from using their own health insurance, people who have Medicaid, to cover their abortions. And so long before this decision, that has been the single greatest barrier to abortion care is paying for this abortion. And we have evidence from Dr. Foster's turnaway study and several other studies that people often delay their their abortions in the process of gathering up the money to pay for the abortion. And the longer that takes, the later they are in their pregnancies. And the harder it is to identify an abortion provider that can provide an abortion at that gestational limit. So, and it just is becomes an, a cycle for people as they're trying to gather the money. Now post dobs they have to gather even more money because this means a long trip and an overnight stay and childcare and loss of of wages wages and income. And so this clearly we, you know, with that without a doubt, the Dobbs decision is actually pushing people further along in their pregnancies to, to seek an abortion. And I don't want to stigmatize later abortion. It's it's, you know, many people do have later abortions, but but people should be able to get have their abortions as soon as they want it, as soon as they seek it, because that is patient-centered care. That is the optimal healthcare.
0: Yeah, and th- there's one thing. I, I, yeah, Diana, I, I don't want to take you. Uh, you've asked. For,
2: you've asked us for solutions. You've asked us for suggestions of changes that need to be to happen. And I fear that in all our talk about what could be, that we overlook the dire situation that we're in and and lose the sense of urgency of what the new abortion bans are going to cause for many women and pregnant other pregnant people. Right now, our current system m- means that in these states that have banned abortion, there had been a- about 300,000 abortions and not all of those people will be able to access pills, and not all of those people will be able to travel. And for the maybe 100,000 people who are forced to carry a pregnancy to term, we know that they will experience serious physical health harm. Work done by Dr. Gertz has shown very much more likelihood of serious life-threatening complications for a pregnancy carried to term versus one terminated with an abortion. And that the long-term consequences involve economic harm, lower achievement of life aspirations, work done by Dr. Upadhyay, and also a lower chance of, of achieving life goals like having an intended pregnancy later. So these laws actually force people to have children before they're ready or an additional child before they're ready at the cost of being able to have intended children under better circumstances later and with potential life threatening and long term physical health harm so this is a public health emergency it's a a social emergency and i think the decision is made on such abstract political motivations that we that there's a risk of overlooking the real human harm
0: absolutely absolutely and we we've reproduced in the issue that is behind me the work some of the work that you've been describing from from all of you. indeed, it's absolutely extremely important work. Before we, we stop, I, I still have one question because you know the pastoral world is a world in which negotiation about abortion reproductive rights are going to take place at the state level so i mean are there some potential coalitions, some areas of convergence i think diana mentioned maternal and child health this is something that may be generating a large support i mean can how how far can state go in protecting where a person pregnant person and their access to abortion
3: That's a great question. We have several states that are passing laws at the state level to in protected access states to protect providers who offer abortion care to people who are coming from banned states. However, one state, I'll name it, it's Massachusetts. It's not California. Massachusetts has just passed the most progressive law in that it protects providers, specifically offering telehealth for abortion. So this is a way so, so patients can stay remain in their banned state and providers can offer care. It's it's doesn't fully protect patients but at least Massachusetts law does provide some kind of legal shelter for the providers offering that care. So that's just one example. Other states are offering funding for patients to travel to their states to obtain an abortion. But of course, you know as Dr. May said it's it is probably going to be those who are most connected to these networks or having that legal information that these resources are available.
1: I think on top of that, we do have a lot to learn from our colleagues and activists in the global south, especially those in Latin America. We have seen incredible coalitions, intersectional coalitions, form in in order to advance and advocate for reproductive rights at the legislative level, we've had changes recently in Argentina, in Colombia, in Mexico. It's
0: maybe it's, Chile. So.
1: <laughs> Chile, yeah. yes. And to be sure, a law does not ensure access. Just as the just as the existence of a law, you know, having a law does not ensure that everyone has access and and taking it away does not take away access to abortion entirely either there are many many different ways that people access care but it is critical that we have you know at the state level protections for reproductive health and rights and so i think learning from especially the intersectional nature of these coalitions that have built in, that have been built in latin america trans activists racial justice activists indigenous rights activists all coming together with with broad feminist coalitions to say this is a this is a human right this is a part of our humanity our dignity and in order for us to be seen fully as human beings we need to have this kind of protection at the state level. And so I, I, I hope that that we can focus, as Diana has so called us to do, on the human impact while at once expanding our own coalitions and bringing together a larger tent so that we can build a better, more just and inclusive future.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, that's Vicky, do you want to say a couple of last words before we end
4: the session? Sure. One of the things that I want to thank the group for is the ways in which they've actually just flushed out the issue, because there's so many different aspects in public health that you've kind of given them a challenge and a marching order. So I'm thankful for that. And I like the notion of they'll find how to do it in their own community. So it's like, but I think it's been very helpful in terms of the way in which you've laid out what the challenge is before us. I'm gonna sneak one thing in though that I'm gonna push and that is it comes from my background, which is let us not forget the human toll and the need that we're going to have for mental health. You know, we're going to, for example, for some of these women, they're going to be grieving for having to deliver a, you know, almost a, a, a fetus that, you know, they were already worn um, might not be viable. We're gonna have women who, in terms of having another child that they just know they can't do right by. And it's so important for them to do right by all the children they have. So there's gonna be some you know, weaving issues that I think we're gonna to have to look at. So I'm just gonna kind of put that also out there as part of the public health agenda. The best
3: thing Thank people can right. do is vote in November. You know, and maybe we can get a national federal law protecting abortion as a health care right.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I want to thank you all for for being in this podcast. I've been extremely impressed by your work and over all these years. But now I'm even more impressed by the beautiful public health personalities that, that you all are. And thanks again.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
3: Bye-bye. Oh,